0: And this is why we, we receive the mission offering each year, because as Tim said, 100% every penny goes towards missions. We even have a mission savings category in case we missed a category in missions that is in need of financial um, help. Here's the main burden of the text as I have studied it. Lives are transformed when people encounter Jesus. Therefore, let us be obedient and faithful in sharing the gospel, even in opposition. Even in opposition. After Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, they went their separate ways. At the end of chapter 15, Paul chose Silas, right? And they departed, having been commended by the brothers. They went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16 is actually the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul came to Derby and picked up a young disciple named Timothy. Then the mission team became a trio. We have Paul, Silas, and young Timothy. And after going through through different cities, they strengthened the brothers and sisters in the churches in their faith, and they increased in numbers daily. I have four headings for us this morning in our text. First, the call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we dive into the sermon, would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning, for you have rescued us, and you have saved us. You are our salvation. Be glorified, be worshiped, and be praised. And Father, I confess that I need the help of the Holy Spirit. Your word is powerful. Use it for the advancement of your kingdom. For the sake of the lost. And Father, I confess on behalf of my brothers and sisters, we are distracted people. I pray by your power of the Holy Spirit that you would grant us the gift of illumination, that we may behold what you have for us this morning. I thank you because you delight to answer our prayers. And Father, I pray by the preaching of your word, sanctify your bride, purify us, perfect us to be more like Christ. And in his precious name we pray, amen, amen. Verse six and seven, look with me. The Bible says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The trio mission team might have been obedient and faithful to go and preach the word of God, but here in verses six and seven, they encounter obstacles. The Holy Spirit forbade them to speak the word in Asia. You may not find that troubling, but <laughs> I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> chung Bobby, what's up with this? When they tried to go into Bithynia, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to. What's going on here? Did God not want the gospel preached in Asia? No, the gospel eventually reach Asia. We see this in chapters 18 and 19. But to me, in these two verses, there is something that's very comforting. Not even the great apostle Paul He's our apostle. He's the great apostle of the Gentiles had a clear view of God's will for his gospel ministry. Not even him. Paul and his mission team on the wake of their second missionary journey had to deal with two closed doors. Isn't it comforting to know that God will close doors for us when we go in a different or the wrong direction? The Bible is not clear in how they were forbidden, right? Like, did their Ford Raptor, all-terrain mission truck break down? (laughs) Did one of them get COVID? Did one of them get stomach bug? Did, Did they miss the bus? We don't know. We just don't know. And today, we would just say, well, they missed mission door one and they missed mission door two what about you today are you having a hard time discerning the lord's will for your life does it seem like when you go towards an open door it closes on you before you get there i can relate to that i can relate to that Has the ship sailed for marriage in your life? Did your dream of getting that job dissipate? Or did father time take away the childbearing years from you? Or did your application to your most favorite college get denied? Sometimes, Discerning God's will for us is so hard. But one thing that we know from his word, that God is leading us by his Holy Spirit. Do you believe that, church? Romans 8, verse 14 says, the children of God are being led by the Spirit of God. Perhaps he closes doors before us to protect us and preserve us. And so when we encounter closed doors, let's not despair, church. Let's continue to walk out in faith and obedience in this journey called life, trusting that God's will for us is perfect, acceptable, and good. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do you believe that God's will for your life is good, perfect, and acceptable? It's what the Bible says. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. After two closed doors, the trio mission team went down to Troas. There, Paul saw a clear vision of a man calling them to Macedonia. Clearly, God called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Church, sometimes it is comforting to know that God's will for us is clear as well. Verse 10 begins the we statements. Luke had been using the third person plural they prior to verse 10. Now he switches to first person plural we. The we here likely refers to the Apostle Luke, the author of this book, joining the tree mission team. And now we have a stellar mission team. We have the Apostle Paul, Luke, Dr. Luke, Silas, and young Timothy. Having received a clear call to preach the gospel in Macedonia, they immediately left for Macedonia. Now, the Bible is not clear what, who this man was. Some say it was Luke. And we really don't know why, why the author, Luke, put we in this passage and why he placed it right there in verse 10. But one thing is crystal clear in this text. God is leading this team. God is guiding this team to do his mission work. Notice that this text is a Trinitarian passage. We see the Holy Spirit. We see the, the, the Spirit of Jesus. And we see God the Father in our text. And I believe the reason why we should note this is that when Paul was unsure about which direction to go, we can see hindsight that it was God who was ultimately leading this team. And I believe the reason why this is a Trinitarian passage is that we need to see that God himself is leading us when things seem unclear. When God closes doors for you, are you humble enough to trust him and be content in the situation that you are in? When God opens the door for you, are you obedient enough to follow his leading? Paul was both. He was humble enough to accept a no or a closed door. But when the door opened, he was obedient. And notice how Luke phrased it. Immediately, they went. They left. In the missionary world, it seems like these kinds of things are typical. And because God is sovereign, we can trust him in the, the closed doors in the nose of our lives. David Livingston wanted to go to China, but indeed, ended up in Africa. Dr. Livingston became one of the greatest abolitionists for Africa's former slave trade. William Carey, who is the father of modern missions, wanted to go to Polynesia, but he ended up in India, and today he is known for translating the Bible into Bengali. Adoniram and Ann Judson aimed to go to India, but they eventually ended up in Burma where they translated the Bible into Burmese. Ann Judson is known to be the mother of missions, modern missions. Can we praise God for his restraining grace? Because of this, we have God's precious word in Bengalese. Because of this, we have God's precious word in Burmese. And by the way, it's been translated in Visaya, my native language. That's why I have a hard time with English. And you guys are so patient with my grammar. Thanks so much. But praise God for restraining grace. He has a greater purpose in our lives. Would you look at verse 10 with me? And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The verb concluding there means to put together. It means to gather, to conclude. It means it's kind of like taking puzzle pieces, putting them together to get the big picture. The King James Version puts it this way. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Listen, church, when we try to discern God's will for our lives, we don't go into it blindly, right? We gather together what the Lord has done in our lives. We go to God's word and consider his revealed will in the word. We gather godly counsel from godly people. And then we use godly wisdom to discern his will. One pastor said this, and I quote The Christian's life goal is to be faithful wherever the Lord leads and to maintain a humble and open heart along the way. Let me ask you this Does that characterize you as it relates to God's will? For your life. So, having experienced two closed doors for the gospel ministry, the mission team followed the Lord's leading to gospel ministry opportunities in Macedonia. Look with me at verse 11 and 12. Jesus transformed a businesswoman, not only a businesswoman, but a wealthy businesswoman. Bible says in verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. The emperor at that time ordered Roman citizens some being retired military people to live there. This was strategic because the emperor wanted to, we wanted to place pro-Roman cities in strategic military areas. And so Philippi was a Rome away from Rome, if you please. Verse 13 says, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Paul's mission trip strategy was to go into towns and then enter the synagogues on the Sabbath and then preach and teach God's word. We see this in Acts 17 verses one through two. But apparently, Philippi did not have a synagogue. Why? Because it was comprised mainly of Romans and other Gentile citizens. And so there, were, there was not enough Jews to make up a synagogue. It takes 10, Jew men, 10 Jewish men to make up or to have a synagogue. And so where is the next best thing to go to if there is no synagogue? Well, Paul and his team went outside the city gates to a river, to a place of prayer. Note the posture of the mission team that they took when they approached the prayer meeting. They sat down and spoke to the women here we can glean from this, mass, this 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 passage paul's strategic evangelism they share the gospel with these ladies through conversations the words spoke in verse 13 or the words saying in verse 14 indicate that paul was just conversing with the ladies he wasn't river preaching Okay, for, for some of us who live in Titusville, he wasn't street pre- preaching. We don't have rivers here. I don't call that body of water a river. No, he sat down and conversed with the ladies. Paul was literally just telling the story of Jesus Christ. Just like Eduardo told us last week, not all will listen to you but some will some will listen and some will hear the good news of the gospel in particular Lydia Lydia was a successful business woman from Thyatira she was successful in that she was a wealthy woman we can see this from the text She sold purple goods, and purple was often associated with royalty. And so her purple goods really brought in some good money along with her success. She had a house big enough to host other people. Later, we'll we'll hear that she had servants as well as dependents and possibly even children. Lydia was a worshiper of God. That often kind of threw me a little bit if you're in the reformed circle. What does it mean in the original context? What does it mean when the original readers of this letter that Lydia was a worshiper of God? Well, it means that Lydia was a Gentile who feared God. She was a God-fearer. She was like Cornelius, remember Cornelius? Now, from Luke's description, it meant that she was not a Christian. Though she was a God-fearer, she wasn't a Christ follower. But as Paul spoke about the gospel of Jesus Christ, she listened, she heard, and she believed. Lydia became the first Christian convert in Europe on European soil. There were three characters, right, in Lydia's salvation testimony, but there was only one major character. The apostle Paul shared the gospel. Lydia listened and heard, but it was God who opened her ears to hear so that she believed. Trinity We don't have to do cold call evangelism. We don't have to go out street preaching. Sometimes God will just use a simple conversation about the gospel to bring someone to saving faith. Listen, when you're being faithful and being intentional within your conversations with the gospel, you can be confident that God is at work. I was really hoping that our our friend Bobby Hamlet would be able to share a testimony, but with all that's going on, um, we just didn't have time for it, so we're gonna schedule you for another Sunday, but Bobby has been the one to really hear the word and to really do the word, and I wanted him to encourage you in that. Look with me at verse 15. And after she was baptized, And her household as well, she argued or she she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, meaning if you really believe that I have been converted sincerely, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. After she believed, the text says, She and her household were baptized. Perhaps Lydia went home and shared the gospel with her family. Perhaps the apostle Paul came over to Lydia's house and shared the gospel with the the, the entire household. But her entire household was baptized. They believed. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary of the book of Acts, said that her household would have included her servants and other dependents as well as her family now, some have used verse 15 to argue for the doctrine of pedo-baptism or infant baptism, if you will. They would claim that there would be infants in that household. This is important, and the reason why I'm spending some time here is because we see the word household twice in verse 15 and in verse 31. But if we take a brief survey of the household text in the book of Acts, there is the the household of Crispus, there's the household of Cornelius, there is the household of Lydia, and there is the household of the jailer. We will see that those who were baptized both heard the gospel and believed in the Lord before baptism. And so we can conclude that infants cannot believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not claiming that we are 100% here. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters are good, good, good brothers and sisters. And we have tremendous respect for the Presbyterian denomination, but we just fall in a different conviction based on what we see in the text. This is why we value and practice believers' baptism. In fact, this is why we value and practice believers' communion. After receiving the call to preach the gospel in Macedonia, Paul and the mission team made their first convert on European soil. Now we'll see another account of a transformation because of the encounter with Jesus. Jesus transformed a demon-possessed girl. Would you look with me at verses 16 and 17? The Bible says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain for fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most holy God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. The next gospel transformation that we see happens to a poor young slave girl in a huge way this poor little girl this young girl was in a bad way off she was doubly enslaved she was enslaved by her owners and she was enslaved by a demonic spirit Verse 16 says that she was a fortune teller. F.F. Bruce again comments on this verse. He says, this, this little girl was described as having a pythonic spirit or a pythoness. I could explain that, but I don't have the time. So just, just go, go along with me. Over time, the person who spoke with a pythonic spirit eventually meant that she was or he was just demon-possessed. But the people in Philippi believed that what she spoke was inspired by their god, Apollos. Quite frankly, when she spoke, they thought they were hearing the voice of the god Apollos. Therefore, she was in high demand, and people were paying good money to have their fortunes told. Because of this, she made a ton of money for her owners. And they exploited her. They exploited her. But God was sovereignly at work. As Paul and the mission team walked by to a place of prayer, they caught her attention. Look with me at verse 17. These men are servants of the Most High God who, who proclaimed to the way, who proclaimed to the way of salvation. And she, the text says, she kept doing this many days. And if I were Paul, I'd be saying, yeah, you go, girl. That's right. We are servants of the most high God. And we are proclaiming to you your way of salvation. But I'm not Paul. Paul was greatly annoyed and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. If you're like me, you'd probably be wondering, why did Paul get annoyed with her? What she was saying was true and good. Well, the Bible is clear that Satan has no part in what God is doing. And we must never associate the work of Satan with the work of God. After this poor slave girl encountered the power of Jesus Christ, she was free. Jesus set her free from the slavery of this demonic spirit. Jesus set her free from the slavery of her owners. By God's grace, this poor slave girl encountered Jesus and she was set free. She was transformed. And just like you and just like me, if you are a Christian this morning, when you encountered Jesus Christ, you were set free from the slavery of sin. You were set free from the slavery of Satan. You see, we weren't just enslaved by human owners. We were enslaved to sin. And Romans 6 tells us that we are free from the bondage of sin. Do you believe that, church? Romans 6, verses 5 and following says this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Just like the Gadarene demoniac in chapter five, verse 15, the moment Paul exercised the evil spirit in Jesus name, she was set free and was in her right mind. And if we follow the, the, the pattern of the Gadarene demoniac, perhaps the Bible doesn't say this, but perhaps she told everybody in Philippi about the mercy that she received from Jesus Christ. Maybe even this little girl became part of the Philippian church. Listen, if you are not a Christian this morning, if you're listening online or driving on the way to work, listen to your podcast, I want to encourage you, if you're not a believer, to ponder what this little girl said. They proclaimed the way of salvation Perhaps you might not even be aware that you are enslaved. You are enslaved to sin. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ, he's the savior. And he provided a way of salvation for you. That way is through the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, unbeliever, the wages of your sin is death. But Jesus paid for that sin. He paid for the wages of your sin when he died on the cross. He died the death that you deserved. And because Jesus died because of your sin, you can be forgiven. Because he died for your sin, you can be forgiven. All you have to do is believe in him, repent of your sin, and accept him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And you will be set free from sin and the grave. In the name of Jesus, Paul exercised the evil spirit from the slave girl. But that's not the only thing that he exercised. He also exercised the owner's fortune. You with me? So they fabricated some false charges about Paul and Silas, and they incited the crowd against them. The magistrates, the leaders of Philippi, tore off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten. Now listen to just what happened. Their clothes were removed. Their bare backs were shown. And they were beaten by rods. Many times it says. And because they were beaten many times, There were wounds inflicted on their flesh. And after having been beaten many times, they ordered the jailer to put them in prison and fasten their feet in stocks. And I wish I could explain to you what stocks are. Just don't have time. Trinity, if we're going to be obedient in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we can expect That we will encounter opposition. Paul and Silas met theirs, didn't they? And so let me ask you this what is your opposition? Is it fear of man? I confess, that's me. Is it laziness? Is it lack of compassion and burden for our fellow man, fellow woman who are lost? Is it forgetting the grace of your salvation? Church, aren't you grateful that today we don't have to face an angry mob and we don't have to be beaten by rods? Church, if you have not been sharing the gospel because of these reasons and the reasons that you thought about in your mind, then I want to call us to repentance. I'm going to call us to repentance. I'll be the first one to repent can you imagine if every single one of us evangelized daily? Can you imagine how many would be added to all the churches in Brevard County? Well, just in Titusville, Mims, Port St. John area, Coco. Not all will listen to us, church. But some will listen and hear the good news of the gospel and will be added to the church. This is what should encourage us to persevere in our daily evangelism. So let me ask you this, what is your plan? What is your plan to evangelize? Is it just to have conversations with someone? and then share the gospel with people? Or is it to invite neighbors over for coffee or a meal and say, how are you doing? It's not going so well with the, the, the COVID season, but then you can share, here's the good news. Jesus has defeated COVID and share the gospel. What is your plan, church? When lives encounter Jesus Christ, lives are transformed. First, the wealthy businesswoman, then this poor slave girl, next, the Philippian jailer. Would you look with me at verse 25? The Bible says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the pris- prisoners were listening to them with open wounds. Dried blood in prison and in stocks. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Note that they weren't praying and singing hymns about God, but they were praying and singing hymns to God. These men were worshiping in the midst of their suffering. You see, the stocks around their feet were designed to inflict further torture. They prevented them from even receiving the gift of sleep. So what did they do? They prayed and they sang hymns to God. They they weren't angry and cursed God. No, they worshiped him. This is what happens when lives are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They simply express their faith and peace in the Lord through their prayers and their singing. Can you imagine if you were one of the prisoners in that prison with them? You know that they were just beaten and they're suffering. But these men are praying and singing hymns to God. What is going on here? It was amazing. But suddenly, God shook the prison and prison doors swung wide open and bonds were loosened. The jailer woke up and saw everything and tried to commit suicide. Now, if you're new to your Bible, why would he commit suicide? Well, In that culture, if if you were a jailer and you lost your prisoners, you were as good as dead. The punishment was death. So putting his sword to his body, Paul yelled out, stop! Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The one who put them in prison is the one Paul had compassion for. Amazing. Amazing. Paul says, do not harm yourselves or yourself. We are all here. And so the jailer called for lights and he rushed in trembling with fear and he cried the cry of the book of Acts. He says, sir, what must I do to be saved? Perhaps he had heard what happened to Lydia. Perhaps he had heard what happened to the slave girl. And Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord, and you will be saved, you and your household. Here's this household word again. And then they spoke the gospel message to them, and they were converted. And as a result, the jailer cared for their wounds, they cared for Paul and Silas, church. This is what happens when lives are transformed by the gospel. The one who was in charge to keep them in jail, the one who was in charge to further the torture, now cared for their wounds. After caring for their wounds, the jailer and the household were baptized at once, and they all rejoiced that he had believed in God. The jailer, according to our texts by Luke, was the third person who, were, who was transformed by Jesus in Philippi. And we, we, if we read the, the rest of the text here, we see that Paul and Silas, after they were released, they visited the church that met in Lydia's house. And this church became the Philippian church that Paul thanks God for, for their partnership in the gospel. We see this in Philippians 1 through 3. In conclusion, church, what can we glean from the encounters with Jesus? Three people, right? Lydia, the rich, successful woman, businesswoman, the poor young girl, and the jailer, who was potentially a retired Roman soldier. We had the rich, the poor, and the old. Here's what we can conclude, church. There is no one too rich to be beyond the reach of the gospel. There is no one too poor to be beyond the reach of the gospel. There is no one too old beyond the reach of the gospel. Lydia was Asian, the young slave girl was a Greek. The jailer was a Roman. There is no ethnicity beyond the reach of the saving power of the gospel. In fact, there is no country beyond the reach of the saving grace of the gospel. Church, the power of the gospel to save for those who believe is unstoppable. Church, we might be just ordinary people, but we carry an extraordinary message. Therefore, church, let us make an impact for Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to take communion. So worship team, will you please join me at the platform? Will you hold your, your cup and your, your bread in a moment, we're going to take communion on our own. I'm not going to walk us through communion as the worship team leads us in a response song. But I just appeal to you to please, please don't get distracted. Please don't get distracted. We're all done. We're going to beat the Baptists, the Sunnies. I love our Baptist brothers as well as our Presbyterians and the Pentecostals. We love God's people, right? We just have different convictions. Because we value believers' communion, if you're not a believer this morning, I want to encourage you to please do not participate in communion. Instead, I appeal to you to believe in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him and you will be saved. The way of your salvation is what that poor slave girl said is through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is a way of salvation for you and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. For believers, for believers, before you take your bread and your cup, remember the cross Remember the cross. It is where Christ's body was broken for the forgiveness of our sin. Before you take your bread and your cup, remember the cross. It is where Christ's blood was shed for the cleansing of our sin, of all of our unrighteousness. Before you take the bread and the cup, examine your hearts discern the sinful nature that you have discern what kind of sin that you're struggling with and then i want to encourage you to repent because we don't want to take communion in an unworthy manner before you take the bread and the cup remember christ's second coming and then rejoice that we will be with him forever church will you stand with me take communion as the lord leads you but remember those things Son, Jesus, who gave himself, gave up his body, and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin, for the washing away of our sin, and for his righteousness that you have credited to us. And now we stand forgiven. We stand objects of your grace and mercy. We stand as children forgiven father because of the mercy and grace of our salvation and because of our love for you grant us the grace to share our faith in Jesus Christ what a privilege and what power of the gospel to transform lives father we want to be faithful for the namesake of Jesus Christ, for the advancement of the gospel and for the increase of your kingdom, that you may be glorified forever and ever. Amen. Church, here's your benediction. Hebrews 13 verse 20 and 21 says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherd of the sheep, By the blood of eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory
1: forever and ever. Amen. Church, God bless you.